now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him. And I am being filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. As a result of this, I am walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work. And I am increasing in the knowledge of God. Now eagerly I incline my ear to his word. The word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area. And it's making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. Alright, the Lord is good. Let's go on. It's our school of prayer again. We are learning how to pray under different circumstances. And last time we were looking at how to pray in the time of distress. And I want to continue from that. Two examples we looked at last time. They are um, the story of Asa, Second Chronicles chapter 16. And then we went to the story of Jehoshaphat. That is Second Chronicles chapter 20. I think we should just take our text again. We'll read from that Second Chronicles chapter 20 quickly. It will help us. Um, because we read it last time, I'll be quick. We remember that Basha, the king of the northern kingdom, was coming against um, Judah. And King Asa was in distress. This was after he had been at peace. The Bible says for 35 years of his reign, there was no trouble. Now, in the 36th year, there was now a problem with this attack that Basha was mounting against Asa. Now, before that, Basha had a league with the king of Aram. And because of that, Asa took money, took, took things out of the temple of God. He took things that were consecrated to the Lord and gave them to an enemy. When you start taking things that belong to God and giving to somebody else, that is a sign that you are no longer relying on your God. You must be very careful. You have to be careful the things that, you know, if you, this was your time to meditate and pray, you now remove that time and start giving it to connections, political meetings, you are no longer relying on the Lord your God. Times that you set aside to do certain things that are spiritual, you now decided to take that time away and give it down, uh, off to human efforts, you are no longer relying on the Lord your God. Those are the things we are trying to emphasize, all right? But what Asa did was to take things that belonged to the temple and take them off and go and send them to a man to help him. He wanted the man to help him. And what was it that they asked for? They asked um, the king of Aram to break the covenant or the agreement he had with Basha. Because if he didn't do that, that's a natural thing. When the war will start, the king of Aram will have come to support Basha against Asa. And that was what Asa did not want. And I said last time, the strategy worked. It worked very well. It worked thoroughly. Bear this in mind. Like Pastor Kbogi will say, when you disobey God, you will know what you gained, but you will not know what you lost. Are you getting my point? When you disobey the word of God, you will gain something. But what you will not know is what you lost. You will know that, yes, I was poor before, now I am rich. What you will not know is that maybe, maybe, God didn't want you to be rich. He wanted you to be the one that will make men rich. Maybe God was not looking at you as a source of, okay, this man will be a millionaire. He said, no, his words will create them in thousands. 
His words will create them in tens of thousands. He will be sitting and dining with kings and controlling the affairs of nations. But now he has become wealthy. He's now built a big house here, one in Abuja, one in Lagos, one in Enugu, and he's driving a, a fleet of a few cars, and he's feeling very important. And then one day, the day of judgment, we don't know what they are going to toss his head into. Now, he's forgotten all of these things, but the strategy he walk, used worked. And that's why I prayed last time, and let me pray it again. May you not succeed when you are disobeying God. Amen. It is important so that when you are disobeying him and things are not working, you will quickly look for how to obey him. It is good for you. It will have been good for Asa if the king of uh, Syria or, or Aram, if the king of Aram had refused and said, listen, go away, then he would have been forced to turn to God. But because the man agreed, the strategy worked. And then what was the verdict of God? Let's quickly read that. We are going to stop um, after reading that. that is, we'll just read that portion. We don't read the rest of that um, book. Verse 7, is, the Bible says that, At that time, Hanani the seer came to Asa, king of Judah, and said to him, because you have relied on the king of Aram and have not relied on the Lord your God. Therefore, the army of the king of Aram has escaped out of your hand. He said, were not the Ethiopians and the Lubim an immense army and very, with very many chariots and, and horsemen? Yet because you relied on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. For the eyes of the Lord move to and fro throughout the earth, that he may strongly support those whose heart is completely his. He said to him, You have acted foolishly in this. Indeed, from now on, you will surely have wars. What was he saying? The strategy you use for the time of your, in the time of your distress will determine what your life is going to be like later on. We saw that when Jehoshaphat had a problem, he did the same thing. Three different nations, people of Ammon, um, uh, the Edomites, and people of Mansia, they gathered against Jehoshaphat. Then he relied on his God. Last time we saw, what is the strategy for relying on your God? A simple prayer. It's just prayer. Two things. One, prayer. And two, devising actions that you will take based upon the understanding of the word of God. Those are the two things. That's when you say you are relying on God. Let me quickly add something today about what I call the priestly corner of life. I taught that many years ago. I don't even know where I mentioned it, but it's one of the things that you will see here and there in my teachings. What I call the priestly corner of life. This is how it is. Israel had a set of laws. And one of them is that on the seventh day, from 6 p.m., all right, on Friday, what we call Friday now, to Saturday, 6 p.m., 24 hours straight, you must not do any work. You are not allowed to kindle a fire. Your animals don't work. You don't work. You're not, suppo- you're not supposed to even take a long-distance journey. If they had what they call a Sabbath day's journey, a limit of travel that a man could take on one day, you can only walk around the neighborhood. Now, the point is that out of seven productive days, one full day was given to doing nothing. They called it rest. Were they not sleeping every night? Why <laughs> are you getting my point? They called it rest. If you see nations that don't know God, they tend to obscure and you know, wipe away the memory of having a whole day in which people didn't do anything. Because they can't understand it. It is not productive. It does not make sense. The animal is not complaining. Why don't, let, why don't you allow work to go on? I'm not here to even explain the physiology of it, the sociology of it, how does it work. But the fact is that God knew that it will work. I mean, there's an important thing about it. And he gave it to them as a commandment. And that's what I call a priestly corner of life. How it operates directly, we do not know. But one thing is that if you did not do that, your, your land will be under a curse. If you did not do that, you are going to have lack of productivity in the land. In fact, when God was sending them off to Babylon, if you go and read the prophecies of um, the man, Jeremiah, one thing he told them is that you are going to be there for 70 years 
until the land that enjoyed its Sabbath. Why? Because not only were they supposed to rest every seventh day, they were supposed to also rest every seventh year. In the seventh year, you were not supposed to cultivate your farms. And they did not, those people did not observe it one day. That yearly thing, they didn't. So God counted it for them. Seventy. So he said, <laughs> that is, they had missed seventy Sabbaths. He said, so I will take you away from the land, that the land will not be cultivated for seventy years. So until the land will have enjoyed the Sabbaths that you denied the land. Now all those things don't make sense. When I say naturally speaking. The other laws that Israel had, laws like things like um, what I call, I, I call, well, it's called the law of gleanings. That is, when you're harvesting, you don't harvest to the edge of your field. If you're harvesting and you cross over a particular line, you don't go back and do it again. Yeah, are you getting my point? Once you're harvesting, you go in a row. Once you have crossed one line, you have crossed that line. You're not allowed to return and pick whatever is there. If things fall down while you're harvesting, you don't touch. You leave it there. And God said, what is the reason? So that those who are poor, those who don't have land, those who don't have a farm to take things from, what they are going to do is to come and take the things that fell from your hands. It was supposed to be deliberate. Part of it was also their law of tithing. You take a tenth of everything that you end, and then, in fact, you know, like I said, because people have not studied scriptures well, they're just content with some things. The truth is that I've read many things. They were supposed to give out about 25% of their income, not 10%. When you calculated everything, because there were different kinds of tithes. We're not discussing it now. Now, these people were supposed to take these things and go down to the temple. I call it the priestly corner of life. What, what do I mean by priestly corner of life? These are things that, naturally speaking, don't directly add to your life, naturally speaking. They don't directly add to your productivity. They are things you just do. Only God, literally, only God understands why it's necessary. <laughs> and how it's benefiting you. He's the only one that understands. They had laws like that. Oh, we're even talking about that. What about the men that are not supposed to work? They call them priests. They are sharing land. Don't give them. They won't. Ah, these guys will just go and what do they do every day? Examine animal. Is this one good? It's good. Then they slaughter it, collect a portion of it, and eat it while you are watching. And you get to my point. Go and farm your own. They won't agree. A whole tribe out of 12, God caught one, and for the primest, let me use that expression, part of their lives, they're supposed to be just going to the temple, teaching, and then sacrificing animals. And yet, God said, if you don't maintain that priesthood, all of you are in trouble. They had to maintain the priesthood. These are things that they did that did not directly, all right, benefit the individuals. And these are things that men throw away once they throw away the knowledge of God. Now, we're not under the law, the law of Moses, but I want to just explain a principle here quickly. That when God gives Moses a law, what you will find out that is always, all right, a manifestation of a spiritual principle. Now, the way it will work in your life as a believer may not be exactly the same as it, as, as it worked with Israel. But you must understand that there is a spiritual principle behind it. And as believers, we will have to be careful to note that those principles. For example, the law of Sabbath. We don't have the law of Sabbath as it, every Sabbath, what you call Sabbath day. But your life must have Sabbath. Your life must have Sabbath. There must be times you don't do work. There must be seasons in which you say, sorry, I am on holiday. And you mean it. There must be times you put off your phone. If your phone is always on, that uh, you never can tell when business will call you, you are not relying on the Lord your God. Are you getting my point? You are not. You are relying on human, you know, because that's what I'm talking about. You, there must be things in your life that don't make sense. There must be things in your life that just don't make sense. The only reason why you are doing them is because you are walking by faith. And when I say it don't make sense now, to people watching from outside, you're only doing them because you are walking by faith. That's what I call the priestly corner of life. I'm talking about how to rely on, on the Lord your God. 
One, it's prayer. You must pray. And that's why last time, we read the prayers of those men. We read them here together. I said, number one, one, one of the ways by which we pray, say things that men have said before. Prayer doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes people use words. And you, you start wanting that, does God understand? Are you getting my point? <laughs> you that he is God. Are you wonder the thing you have said? Do you think the Lord understands? If you claim you are praising God, and the words you are using don't make meaning to you, yourself, you are not praising God. Because God only sees the praise that arises from your heart. Not those things that you say in words. So your words must make sense to you. It must be an appreciation of what you understand or who you understand God to be in your life. We said that last time. And I said that prayer must be, alright, from the heart. Say things the way they are. Say them the way it hurts you. Say them the way, I mean, lift up a standard from the word of God. Like I said, one of the things as a believer you must be careful alright, concerning is that look at God's word and pray and act, believe, so that your life can come up to the level of God's word. Yesterday I was in my office. One of my colleagues was telling me, you know, I, of course, you know the work I do. I use a microscope every day. It's a routine part of my work. Some of my colleagues were trying to explain something, that this microscope we have is not good. We should try and get new ones. You know, I said, you see, one is getting older. The eyes are getting weaker. I said, no, not my own. I said, not my own. Ah, he said, this man has gone for surgery for his eyes. So this person was counting. One does not say as well as before. I said, me? I am seeing as well as before. He said, why? I said, because every day I pray over my own. It was, it was just speaking naturally. That you see, we have to get better microscopes. The eyes are getting weaker. One is getting older. I said, wait, 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 wait. My eyes are not getting weaker. Now, I'm not discussing how I feel. I'm not discussing my experience. I read the scriptures. Listen, you know, Moses was 120 years old. His eyes did not grow dim. The man did not get tired. It's a testimony. And the same spirit, which is the spirit of Christ, dwelling in me, is giving life to my mortal eyes. Are you getting my point? If my eyes want to do the other way, we will fight. You know that we will fight. That is, we'll be talking every day. Eyes. See clearly. What's your problem? See clearly. This is the word of God. <laughs> that is the standard. I just wanted to drop that. So, when you are praying, this is what prayer does. You look at your experiences. You look at the standard of the word of God. Is that gap that is your prayer. That this God, this gap has to be wiped away. This gap has to be eradicated. My experiences must come up to the place of the standard that is recorded in God's word. That is what prayer is. And we say it sincerely. That is how to rely on God. And I was saying something earlier. When we prayed like that, we now use that revelation. That is the understanding we get from God's word. Like Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat heard from the prophet that you are not going to have to fight in this battle. That you don't have to fight. You will stand by and you will see the salvation of God. So he and the elders gathered and said, well, if that is true, if we believe in the Lord our God and we are established, and if we are going to hold on to the word of his prophet so that we might prosper, what do we do? We are holding on to that word. He said, what it means is that we will not have to fight, so let us put singers in front. Don't forget that. So that's why he put singers in front. In the case of um, Asa the first time, which was what the prophet was reminding him of, the first time when Asa prayed, and he said to God, Who, which other defense can a man have when there's such a great army, greater than him, coming against him? Alright? What did God do? Asa still went out to battle. Except that when he got there, he saw the other people fighting themselves, so he just chilled. And said, let's watch what is happening. Two groups faced the third group and faced the third group and killed everybody. Then they faced each other. At the end of the day, everybody was dead. 
All Asa needed to do was just plunder. That's all. You are getting my point? Now, that's the result of when people rely on God. And that's what we are teaching. Listen, God is the ruler in the affairs of mankind. Somebody give me an amen. amen. There is no accident on this earth. None. There is none. We are talking about the, the, the international price of crude. Don't worry. It's heavenly determined. You understand? We are talking about availability of job. It's God that decides. So there is nothing that God cannot intervene concerning. I'm going to say something to us again today. Talking about the name of God. Last time we were talking about the third commandment. That you must not take the name of the Lord thy God and place it on the vain thing. Alright? What does that mean? It means that don't ever look at somebody else as your source. Now, I want to remind us of something else we said about the name of God again. When I was talking about the seven names of God before. I said, God has a name that he bears in different situations. He does. You must identify that name. It's not just to go and say, uh, uh, Jehovah Rufeka. Why speaking, speak the language you don't speak normally? Any language you don't use to talk to your wife and your friend, don't speak it to God. Not because he can't understand it, but because he knows you don't understand what he has said. He understands anything. No? But the problem is that whether you get the point. Say, so you are Jehovah Mekedishki. Say, spell it. Then there's confusion in the family because you are using a word. <laughs> you know, I, I, told you, I teach medical students. I tell them something, all right? One of the things we do in medical school is to conduct oral examinations. I warn my students ahead of time. If you walk into my oral exam room, be careful of the words you use. If you use a word and I tell you to explain it and you can't, you're dead meat. I mean, not literally. You understand my point? Why? Because I say you are guessing. You're guessing. You're supposed to be a doctor for goodness sake. I just used to tell those, those my students, I said, listen, this thing is supposed to be real to you. All right? I tell you what are the complications of this particular disease. You mentioned a complication. I said, good. Explain it. What does that word mean? Because you, you can see through the eyes when they are saying things they don't understand. You memorize from the book. Listen, I know the meaning of the word, but I want to know that you're using it. What is coming out of your soul? Now, we're back to spiritual things now. What is radiating up to the heavens? You put up your hands and say, Jehovah Mekidiski. And God said, no problem. I know the meaning of Mekidiski. I'm just wondering what you are talking about. I said, what did he say? He said, that, that, that was what um, Frank Edwards said inside the song. While he was worshipping. The Lord said, are you Frank Edwards? <laughs> what, what do I mean? Listen, when the Bible talks about those who call upon the name of the Lord, that they will be saved. It didn't say those who call upon the Lord. It said those who call upon his name. There's an application there. There is a name that God bears under every circumstance. We're talking about praying in the time of adversity. Whatever the adversity you are in, there is a name he bears there. And, they have, and it's a very simple name. The provider. I'm sure you understand that. That is his name. And he's saying that if you call him by that name, you will be saved from hunger. The deliverer. He said, if you call him by that name, you will be saved from armed robbery attack. That is, it's not just the uttering of the words. It's the recognition of the fact that indeed, he's the one. That is what delivers people. And that was what happened when Jehoshaphat went to pray. He said, listen, what are we going to do? What are we going to do against this great army? What I'm bringing up all right, in this series is for us to understand how to pray really when there is distress. Listen, let's continue from this particular point. We're going to read the prayer of um, uh, the story of um, Ezekiah again because I mentioned three of them last time. We read only two. 
we'll just read it. It's something, um, the story we know, but let's just go over it again because it boosts our faith. But when I was thinking about it, a scripture that I stumbled upon, that I want us to read everything together. The book of Psalms, chapter 3. Quickly open your Bible to the book of Psalms, chapter 3. And after that, we'll read another psalm. And then we might go and look at the story of Ezekiel again. Ezekiel preached prayers like that twice. But let's read Psalm 3. And I want us to read together. I keep on saying, God is good. Somebody say amen. Amen. He's alive. Somebody say amen. amen. He cares about us affectionately. He watches over us carefully. Amen. The problem is faith. Faith is not a big word like uh, what are the mechanisms by which? No, it's trust. Do you rely on the fact that God is good and that he's watching over you? You know, I, there's one thing I, when I first came to town and then we go here. I, when we're looking for a house to rent. I told my wife then, I said, See, listen, it was not our idea to come to Enugu. And God was not thinking we would live under trees. It's just not his nature. I said, so he must have prepared a house we are supposed to live in. So let's just look for that house. So I, I kept on checking with that in my mind. That's just the way it is. It is not about, uh, is this good, is it bad? It's more of, is this the right one? You now say that uh, oh, when you found it, did God now speak to it is the right one? Let's talk about that God speaking thing again. You know, I always like to help people. Does God speak? Yes. If he speaks and you don't understand, I think he knows you don't understand. He'll speak louder. Remember, he cares. He loves. He's watching over you carefully. Now, how did I know that it was the house. I'll tell you. It's simple. When I got there, it looked okay to me, and I liked it. Period. Holy Spirit didn't say, arise my son, take it, this is the one. No, it was not necessary. He will only say that if I see a house that I cannot discern the goodness in it, and he wants him to have it. He wants me to have it. Then he will speak through different methods. I just want to keep explaining this to Christians. Sometimes, when we're talking about um, the, the one God appointed, people often think that the Holy Spirit has not spoken to me yet. You see a young woman, you like her. She's godly. You just like her. Now the Holy Spirit has not said I should marry her yet. Wait, he will go and tell somebody else to marry her. I don't know what you are waiting for. Say, what if God does not want me to marry her? He will let you know. That is why he owes you talk. When you go to her father's house and the cox is gone, you should know that God didn't send you here. <laughs> at, least, at that time, you go and pray again. If that man's heart doesn't get softened, you have not discovered the will of God yet. Be patient. It may still be there, but just wait. I'm going to emphasize something here. It is not every time that God speaks. You know, that's priest. He does this sometimes. Many other times he doesn't do it. Let me ask you a question. Be honest. Be honest. Don't lie. How many of you did God say to go for school of prayer today? Is there anybody in the house? See? 
Is that he doesn't talk to people? No, he does. But actually, what you don't realize is that many people here, he specifically spoke that they should come. That is, apart from the general word, he has spoken to everybody, go. There are those that he sent here today, except that it was your friend that said, come. You thought it was your friend. It was God. One of our brothers here, is he around? He's not here yet. We believe he was personally brought up here by an angel. He didn't think about it until one day I was preaching about angelic manifestations. At the end of the Bible, they said, Pastor, I think I've seen one before. Where? He said, downstairs. I said, what happened? He said, once he was in serious distress in his life. He was just roaming up and down. I've been there before. In which confusion came upon your soul. In case you are wondering who did it. It's my wife that did it to me. We're not married that time. The girl won't tell me mental. <laughs> no, I know. I, I don't want to tell you this story. I put the stories to some people. In fact, listen, guys. Let her fortify your mind. May this girl not wound you. <laughs> I know what I'm telling you. <clears throat> hey. Anyway. One of our brothers, anyway, he said that it happened to him. Some, I don't know, not exactly the same thing, but something similar to that. He said he was downstairs. He was just walking up and down. Finally, he rested in court downstairs here. And he was just, the one man just came up to him. I said, you, follow me. He said what he didn't realize until later was that he followed him. Now, that was how he did something was odd. You understand, a stranger said, follow me. I said, he had never been inside the building. I started following the man, climbing, you know, this is top floor. Climbing the stairs, climbing the stairs. And the fellow came in here and sat and told him to sit down. Nobody invited him. He had not existed. He just entered and heard me teach the word of God. And he says, since that day till now, he has never seen him again. No, it happens. These things happen. Those things are real. I just feel like giving another story. I listened to David Paulson yesterday. He told about one of his books. He said he lost, he went to preach in Italy. And he lost the bag containing the manuscripts, and that he doesn't type. He writes with a fountain pen. So the manuscript is just one. These days, people like me write on Dropbox because I've lost the book before. He didn't have all of that. And by the way, use technology. is not of the devil. I've seen churches that ban people from carrying tabs and big screen phones that should bring a paper Bible. Like Bishop said, he told them, go and buy a scroll if that's what you want. Uh-huh. Technology is good. Do you get my point? I use a tab. I mean, it's so convenient for me. I have how many translations of the Bible here, plus my notes, plus I can, I can be talking, remember something, quickly switch on. You know, there are many things you can do. So let's, please, be real. Don't deceive yourself. Don't let the world go for all you are behind. So the first thing, he didn't have that privilege. I mean, he's an old man. He's about 86 now, so you can understand. All right? He's, he's a very old man, so you can understand that. So he said he wrote the book with long hand, and then he went to Italy to go and preach. It was raining. So he entered into his car quickly. The man who came to pick him from the airport said, please enter the car. Let me load your stuff in the boot. He had two bags. His normal traveling bag and a small briefcase that contained his books. That briefcase was black and small and it was night and it was raining. That man didn't see it. So he dropped only the big one inside the boot and drove off. When he got to the hotel... After driving over an hour, they couldn't find the bag. 
They rushed back to the airport. The bag was gone. The trolley was gone. They went to the police. The police who lost a briefcase said the policeman looked at him like, in Italy, forget it. Forget about it. There's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> so he went away to, for the conference that was over 100 miles away. But he prayed and said, God, I am not going to rewrite the book. If you want me to publish the book, you have to find it one way or the other. And bring it back to me. You don't bring it back, I assume that you don't want me to publish the book. So I'm going to let it go. He finished preaching. One man walked up to him. A hundred miles away from the airport. He was in another city preaching. The man handed, just handed him the briefcase. There was no identification papers inside. Nothing to tell where he was. Even they didn't know who he was. So the man handed him the briefcase, turned and left. Didn't tell him anything. Didn't explain anything. Just said, your briefcase. And turned and left. So I opened the briefcase. The papers were scattered, but they were complete. He took a few minutes, rearranged them, and that's how come he did not lose the book. Angels are real. They changed my friend's tire one day when he was tired. Not kidding. I'm just digressing to let you know. You are not alone. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For the Lord is with me. It's not a joke. It's not a joke, it is real. Bear it in mind. They are always there with you. Let not your heart be troubled. I'm digressing, alright? I, I, I knew where I went into that. But I like to drop things like this once in a while to help the people of God. Is that okay? Now, back to our message. So maybe the Lord didn't specifically speak to you loud like that. Come for Bible study today. But he actually did for many of us here. He brought you here to come and hear a word. He may not have whispered clearly, say, my son, my daughter, arise. That guy is going to be preaching this evening. Go and listen to him. I have a word for you from there. And don't feel unspiritual. Because, you know, some people feel intimidated. And when I start preaching, I said, Daddy, I in my house. I always pray, say, get up. Go and listen to Pastor Murphy. He's going to be teaching tomorrow. And I, and I now went, drove down to TCC. And he began to share. He said, I came to this because God spoke to me. It's not a sign of spirituality. It's a sign of deafness. <laughs> You are so deaf and dead to shout loud. If you were very sensitive, he wouldn't talk. Don't feel spiritual at all. And be harassing the rest of us. <laughs> I came here today because the Holy Spirit said, go and listen. So whatever I want to t- say today, I knew, I knew it was going to be for me. Those who came just because they love the word of God are better than you by force, by far. Come and be intimidated with spirituality. They do me, Zeb. I don't even know. <laughs> I like to help Christians, you know, because they, they've, they've been intimidated by things that don't mean anything. You, that out of just the love of God, you got up and went to listen. You are far more spiritual than people that God had to recruit a battalion of angels. Wake him up, wake him up. Make him base. Now, as I was wake, I didn't want to get up before, but the, the, the Holy Spirit began to say, Get up, get up, get up. I didn't even want to base. The, the angels pushed me into the bathroom. <laughs> the, the Lord chose the clothes because I knew I was going to be here today. I just knew I had to be God. Those of us that came, normally, we are more spiritual. 
We love God so much, we don't need to be reminded. The Lord has gone. You know why I'm laughing now? I'll tell you why I'm laughing. I'm trying to go back to my message. So that's why I'm laughing at myself, actually, the last laughter. So let me go back to what I was saying. So in case you're wondering, how will God, because I know where I was. I was saying that I knew that the Lord had appointed a place for us to be. And how did I know the place? It's simple. I got there. It was available. I liked it. But I knew that God had ordained a place for me. I'm not emphasizing the fact that God is alive. He's thinking carefully about you and you must relate with faith towards him. Before you get hungry, he knew you'll be hungry. Sometimes he allows you to be hungry first. Go and read Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, so that he might feed you with manna and then you will understand that man does not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. The fact that you are hungry first doesn't mean say, God, where are you? He, knew, he was waiting for you to get hungry first. Bear that in mind. So let's have let's faith be stirred up in our hearts. I'm emphasizing that in the time of distress, we cry out to God from a sincere heart. Let's read Psalm 3. And I said we should open there, right? Yeah, the book of Psalms, chapter 3. You know this one, I want us to read it together. I want all of us to read these things because it's a prayer that David prayed here. Now, which one do we do? Everything together or one, two, one, two? One, okay, let's do one, two, one, two. I think everybody prepares that. All right, I'm going to read verse one. You read the even number verses. I'll read the odd number verses. Too. Okay, we'll read number eight together, all right? All right, I'm reading from the New American Standard Bible. It said, Oh Lord, how my adversaries have increased. Many are rising up against me. Verse two. Many are saying of my soul, there is no deliverance for him in God. Sailor. Verse 3, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory, and the one who lifts my head. Verse 4, I was crying to the Lord with my voice, and he answered me from his holy mountain. Sailor. Verse 5, I laid down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. Verse 6, I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people. Who have set themselves up against me and about. Verse 7. Arise, O Lord, save me. O my God. For you have smitten all my enemies on the cheek. You have shattered the teeth of the wicked. Verse 8. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. The sailor. Now this is a very powerful psalm. Simple. Straightforward. A cry of a man in distress. This is how we are supposed to pray. Now listen to what David was saying here. I want to just look at something in verse 4. He said, I was crying. Or depending on the version you have. He said, I cried to the Lord. My Bible says, I was crying to the Lord with my voice. And he answered me from his holy mountain. He now said in verse 5, I laid down and slept. I awoke, for the Lord sustains me. Now what was he saying there? In the midst of my distress, I was able to sleep. Now he wasn't talking about normal sleeping. <laughs> he was talking about the fact that Things were tight. I cried to God and I laid down and I was able to sleep. I said something on Saturday that go and read what Paul said to the Philippians in chapter 4. Let's open to it quickly. We are studying the scriptures. Let's quickly read it together. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. There's a scripture that we, that's very 
One of those earliest ones we learned those days as young uh, believers. And he was saying, shouldn't have any anxiety about anything. In verse um, 6, he said, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Verse 7 says, this is a consequence. The peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In the midst of my distress, David said, I cried to the Lord, and I lay down and I slept. I don't know whether you are getting the point. It's exactly what Paul was saying here. Let your supplications, is it by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And then the result is first of all what God gives you. It's not an answer to your prayer per se. The first thing he gives you is a peace of God that passes all understanding. Uh-uh. That in the midst of distress we are sleeping. You need money. If you don't have it by tomorrow, you'll miss your exam and you've gotten an extra year in school. Everybody expects that you'll be praying the whole night. Listen to me. Many all-night prayers are signs of unbelief. <laughs> all-night prayers because of need is a sign of unbelief. If you really believed, you should have gone to sleep. Prayer for your need is in a few minutes. It doesn't take an hour. David said... I had many adversaries. People pursuing me up and down. Then I cried to the Lord. When it was night, I fell asleep. <laughs> many people think that you are not serious. You don't know how tight your situation is. When the peace of God enters your heart, you sleep very well. Even though things are rough. That is the first sign of faith. The first thing that God grants you is peace of mind. Listen, if you hear somebody say, we are praying the other night, say about what? About our needs. Tell the fellow, no. Let's pray early in the evening so that we can see whether God has really answered or he hasn't answered. <laughs> because if we are still awake, then we are sure, by faith, we have not received the answer. But if by the time it's time to sleep, we actually fall asleep. Then we are, the thing that we are asking God for is definitely on his way. The first thing God gives is that peace that uh, Paul said surpasses all comprehension. David said, because I have cried to him, in verse 6, I will not be afraid of 10,000 people who have set themselves against me round about. He said, Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. He said, verse 8, Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be upon your people. Now, why did I have us read this psalm? To let you see how one reacts in the time of distress. I said something last time, then repeat it again. Praise is not a song per se. Praise is not let us worship everybody. Those are expressions of praise. Quite right. I'm not saying it's not. They are not. I'm saying the real thing about praise is the name that you call God from the bottom of your heart, out of persuasion. Are you going to have the money you need and you say confidently, the Lord will supply? Do you know that is praise? Whether you have played an album or not, that is praise. That you said the Lord is the supplier. You're sure the money will come? Yes, as God lives. He's the supplier. Let's do another psalm. Psalm 18. 
This one again is long. I want us to read it together. What we need as believers is that confidence to approach unto the Lord. I want to read it from the New Living Translation. We are reading quite a long portion. I want us to read together again. And then we are going to verse 19. We'll read verse 19 together. I will first of all read them. I will start with verse 1. Are you there? Psalm 18. He said, I love you, Lord. You are my strength. Verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He's my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. Why I chose the New Living Translation is that many of the words are so simple. He said, He's my shield, the power that saves me, and my place of safety. He said in verse 3, I called on the Lord, who is worthy of praise, and he saved me from my enemies. Verse 4. Troubles come to people. That's what is happening here. David had troubles upon him. He said, the ropes entangled me. 